Hey Legends, welcome back to the Press Room Podcast presented by Zwift. Back for another episode here covering the Australian Summer of Cycling and the final major event is here. It's the Melbourne to Warnable. Now, if you haven't heard of the Melbourne to Warnable before or maybe you don't know much about it, hopefully this episode will really give you guys a bit more information and the history and the context behind this amazing race. It is Australia's probably most iconic and most historic race and In fact, it's actually the second oldest and the second longest bike race in the world, which is just amazing when you think about how far it dates back to uh, 1895, I think the first edition was. So really crazy race. It runs 270 kilometers from Melbourne to Warrnambool, and the women's race runs from Colac to Warrnambool, 160 Ks, and that is the longest one-day race on the women's calendar only next to the Women's uh, World Championships road race, which is, I think the last one was 168 Ks, and they had to get special permission for that. So that just goes to show how hard this bike race is. Now, today's guest, coming at it from a couple of angles for you guys, okay? I've got a special guest and a real icon of the race, a man named John Craven. Now, John Craven, he used to work uh, in the newspaper behind the race in the sort of 60s and 70s at the Herald before becoming the race director himself for around 16, 17 years. So he shares a couple of funny insights with us. Um, and he was a bit of a character, John, as well. I look forward to catching up with him in Melbourne in a few days' time. And then, of course, we catch up with two-time fastest female winner, Matilda Reynolds, who's really, really motivated and chasing that pro contract that many of her peers, some that she's beaten, some that she's been second to, um, have then gone to Turnbull Tour. So she's after that contract. And Melbourne Warney has just one more go to give herself uh, a shot in the limelight. And um, yeah, Matilda really speaks really well, and I think you'll enjoy the segment with her. And then we also chat with 2020 winner and uh, just all-round legend, Trekkie Johnson, Brendan Johnson is his actual name but nicknamed Trekkie and we chat with him and hear about his win in 2020 and some of the things that you need to think about when you're trying to win this epic bike race but uh yeah legends this is a pretty cool episode I hope you guys enjoy it I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Elliot Schultz and if you haven't listened to that already um, I certainly recommend going back and listen to the second half. I mean, we're doing the preview on the Cadell's race. You can listen to that too. But the second half where he talks about um, his crazy sort of crash and the aftermath in the hospital uh, in Belgium that he had, really worth a listen. It is a cracker. But uh, before we get stuck into today's episode for the Melbourne Warning special, big shout out to Cyclic, our summer sponsor. You certainly want a Fly 12 or a Fly 6 on your bicycle the uh, cameras with the lights on them um, if you were training for warning I mean you're doing six hours on the bike uh, to get ready for these events and guess what lasts for six hours plus it's the cameras and the recording on these uh, on these units so really really good products for someone who rides all the time on the bike um, and also commute so um, yeah check them out guys go to the website and also of course thanks to Zwift and thanks to Smith Optics and Attacker we're doing some giveaways with both of them as we get through the year so stay tuned we'll do some uh, little games and that sort of stuff as the Euro season commences but guys time to get stuck into the episode quick shout out to Megan my fiance it's her birthday today so uh, well it's birthday on Wednesday so happy birthday Alright guys, time to get stuck into the episode. This is Melbourne Warnable. We've got John Craven, we've got Matilda Reynolds and Drekkie Johnson. Cheers. 
looking forward to morning this this weekend. Yeah, it's a bit surreal that it's on actually, um, but that it's come straight after Cadell's. Um, but yeah, I think you know I have a deep love of the Warney. I raced it when it was with the guys, and probably loved that a lot more than I. I did uh, with the women, but just because it was so long and it was so hard and it was just every man for themselves and woman for themselves. Um, But really last year's event was amazing. You know, I think it was a great moment in cycling history for Australia. Um, We had so many women involved that were key, integral to getting that event off the ground. Um, the likes of Karen, Liz, Donna, Tracy, um, these are all, you know, that, you know, sort of they're like names like Adele, like, you know, they've got huge profiles in cycling for the last sort of 30, 40 years and for them to all come together and to have an all-female organising committee that was able to get that event off the ground and then I think to have such a high caliber of athletes that got away in that break. And then, you know, I was fortunate enough to be on the podium and then you reflect on that and you're like, wow, look at that break. And you list off the athletes that were in that and where they are now. So you've got Maeve Plouve that's in DSM. You've got Nicole Frayne that is Park Hotel. Um, You've got Georgie Howe and Amber Pate in Jayco. You've got um, uh, uh, the little grommet. Uh, at um, uh, next gen um, as well, so yeah. yeah, and um, and Megan, who's then signed with uh, Arkea, so I'm the only one that's still returning. So uh, yeah, hopefully it'll also be my last. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a dream race, and I think it was just really important for us to put on a show and not just roll around. I was quite conscious of that as a rider, and I hope. For this weekend, everyone else is quite conscious of, yeah, putting on a show. And once that live TV coverage comes into effect that, you know, we're really showing just how strong the women's peloton is and, um, yeah, hopefully lead to an exciting race. Yeah, 100%. Um, Yeah, definitely. When you're, like, racing the – well, I guess you said how the – obviously the distance when you were riding, uh, when the women's was combined with the men's and it was fast as female across the line – Outside of the distance, obviously being longer, how is the race generally harder compared to the women's stand event, a standalone event? Like how are they different? Um, it's just the the two times that it's been really hard was obviously the KOMs, um, but then also on one of the um, the first year that I did it, it actually broke up for us on the downhill, so we just couldn't. Only just hung on because you they've got such big ring, bigger rings on their bikes. The guys, a lot of them are stronger, um, and so that they can push a higher watt at a greater speed. So it was actually on the downhills that you're just trying to hang on to a really fast motorbike, um, and is and it was quite windy as well in the crosswind. So yeah, that really caught quite a few of them out. So it is quite similar to Cadell's in that it's in a similar area around the sort of the Great Ocean Road. Um, it goes um, up, down along the coast there. And so if there's crosswinds there, then it can really split the race. But I think the excitement of the first 50K is done in like <laughs> a bit over an hour. You're on the highway and it's just yeah. madness. And it was yeah. just silly. Like people, you'd be popping off the front and then it would just be all panic stations. And then suddenly it would, there would be a call that goes through the bunch and all the guys pull over and, you know, yeah. um, we on the side of the road. And it was like, 
we rarely do that in a female peloton. <laughs> yeah, so it was like a real good breather. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, you rarely know what's going on. You're just trying to hang on um, and just, you know, not get caught up in crashes and things. But I think it's certainly like now look, reflecting on the year, there's, there's no way that um, there, there shouldn't be a separate race for the women's event. So I think, yeah, it was certainly due. And I think it was also at the level where it could sustain it. In saying that, I think Karen Jones, the organizer, has done an amazing job to ensure that both the men's and women's warning goes ahead this year. I know that funding was challenging. um, And I think a lot of people are a bit probably naive to what's happening in the economy and into cycling because you think, well, there was just this massive boom that happened during the pandemic and bikes were like toilet paper. You couldn't get enough of them. But on reflection, that a lot of that boom is now busted. And so I think um, it is challenging um, for teams, for sponsors, um, for events. And I think uh, anything that's going ahead at the moment is doing really well, but equally I think is showing great return on investment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. You're right with the timing, especially uh, for having the women's only event, the caliber of riders that were racing, like you said, you listed them all off in the front group last year. I mean, yeah. Yeah, pro- I forgot to mention Josie Talbot. Like oh, she's Josie, a co-producer. Yeah. <laughs> Grommet's yeah. the uh is an is annual low with our next gen. And so yeah, what an incredible like if you had that Peloton, that that breakaway now in their world tour colours, like it would be insane. So yeah. um yeah, it was a it was a fantastic race. But I think you know, yes, they leave big shoes, but they're shoes that can easily be filled and that enables the next generation to really step up. And I think we are in a bit of a year this year where there will be a transition phase in the NRS. Um, obviously, um, Inform, TMX Make won't, um, isn't on the start line, but that's been, you know, replaced by the likes of Bridge Lane potentially. And so, um, and, and some other teams that are coming into it um, and some lower teams that are stepping up. So I think it is still really positive that I don't think it's the doom and gloom that, you know, the Peloton may have been emptied. And I think with ACA and Bridge Lane having done on the two world tour events that they'll come in with a different level of, um, experience and and fitness and expectation that will hopefully just only add to the nrs peloton yeah definitely i I agree with you i think it's definitely going to be yeah the teams are going to be fine especially on the women's side um it's a much more it's a much more clearer pathway um on the women's from what i can see but with the with your own personal form matilda um yeah it's like the end the end of the big summer block. Like you, I imagine are you either you're either feeling pretty tired or you're feeling really good or both. Yeah, it's interesting. I think my coach is concerned that I could be tired. So Pat Shaw is pulling me back this week and I'm like, mate, I'm losing fitness. Like, let's go sort of thing. I <laughs> I need to get out there. Like I was gonna ride again today. And he's like, Can you just go for a walk? So I, I'm okay, but I also sometimes these things hit me like a freight train. I don't see them coming. So it's I think for me this month hasn't so much been tiring and racing. It has been tiring logistically though. Um I am racing on my own. I'm doing all of this on my own. And when I say on my own, I'm I'm not on my own. I've had incredible support from sponsors and friends and family who have um, 
really helped me get through this summer solo and in not having signed for a team and wanting to do this solo. Um, But it is a concern for me on Sunday, just the team tactics and how I can navigate that, how I can ensure that I'm in the right move um, because there's not going to be any teammate that's going to be working for me. And, you know, I know a lot of the Peloton will be working against me. So, um, you know, a really nice compliment is when you go off the front and everyone chases you, but it's, it's not, you know, so it is hard to get away. And so I think um, it's a really long day. Um, 160 K is one of the longest um, classic events for the women. And to do that solo will be challenging. I won't have a team radio um, as an example, but I'm feeling excited. I just hope that I can have a really hard day. A hard day will suit, me and I think um yeah just just hope we don't roll around um and hopefully I've still got some form there that that can get me through and um yeah I just love racing and another opportunity to show my form and and particularly I think the most helpful thing is that there will be coverage um of it so I think that I think I just think it's so underestimated what coverage does for women's cycling in the way that races are raced, um, people try new things, new tactics, um, but equally it's a great way to reflect and look back on the race and learn. Like I, I've, I've had my greatest learnings in not only watching my own races but watching the professionals race. And so um, I think it's fantastic that SBS and Australian Cycling and um, the NRS have been able to get um, coverage for the weekend. So um, the summer of cycling isn't over. Everyone should tune in and, yeah, watch what is one of the most loved and prestigious races in the country. Yeah, 100%. I think it's, uh, I think it's only the World Championships road race for the women's that's longer than this by like 8K. Yes, and they had to get permission for it and, <laughs> and and that could have been the neutral so yeah it was uh yeah yeah I think theirs was probably be a bit harder but um <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so yeah and I think it'll be daunting for some riders and you know it's daunting for me as well I don't know how it's going to play and what tactics will be at play so um I think Chloe Hoskins will be there and potentially it could be her last race so yeah. um she's certainly not going to go out quietly um Rock Salt, ACA, Bridge Lane, but then you've got these other teams that haven't been so much involved in the summer with um, uh, Knights of Suburbia um, mm. being one. You've got a Cervelo team coming up and just a few others that, yeah. So, and I think they're fresh, they're keen, they're keen to show that they're here and make the most of, um, you know, the coverage and, and, and being involved in the race. So they certainly won't be um, just making up the numbers, I think, on Sunday. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, it looks looks super strong. There's quite a few teams that are that are lining up. It makes uh yeah, your job super difficult. <laughs> Megan's just rolled in. Megan, so that's all right. Hey Megan. It's all right. Roll in. You're on a bike, you're totally fine. <laughs> Definitely roll Megan, in. We only commute in by bike in this household. Yeah. yeah. Well done. <laughs> hey Megan. <laughs> no, you're right, you're right. The sounds is the sounds of the TBR podcast in the house. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you yeah. still are you still on specialized bike? Yeah, I am. So one of the reasons that yeah, I was hesitant as well. Like there's just a lot of factors in signing or not signing for a domestic team, but um it, it's gonna take me a bit to leave specialized and I just think they have um amazing equipment and um and also I work for and 
and am sponsored and get a lot of support from Black Sheep Cycling. Um, and so, yeah, um, Specialized have really helped me this summer, as is Black Sheep enormously with their support. So uh, I, I guess the plan was, and I think oh, it's so hard, Jeffrey, because, you you know, I had all these inputs on trying to make that decision on what do I do this summer. And if I'd had a better, I didn't have a great nationals and um, I didn't race to the expectation or what my form should have been for that event and took away a lot of learnings on the leaning there. But if I'd had a great race there, if I'd potentially gotten a spot with the Australian team for TDU or, you know, I'd been more of a GC rider for Cadell's, like there's all these moments that um, potentially if it gone the other way than going solo this summer and being able to be signed straight away with a European Conti team, then that makes sense. But you know, that hasn't necessarily happened um, this summer. And so my gut was really strong in just, you know, sticking with Specialized and Black Sheep and um, and being able to do this summer on my own and then reassessing what I do with Europe. Um, I've got a club team over there um, that's waiting for me to come over and they have a great calendar of Belgium mm-hmm. races, but there are some other opportunities there that I just need to review as well alongside that. And it's so hard because you just don't know and, you know, you look at Jimmy Whelan and he's gone through wow. something similar in that um, I don't compare myself to Jimmy at all. Like I think Jimmy's out of a higher standard and and definitely belongs a spot in the world tour. But as a rider who's who's trying to get that um, signing, like he, he uh, you know, he did have some things on the table and while he was pursuing one, the other one fell through and it's just how it works sometimes it can be brutal but and then on the other retrospect it can all go right and you sign straight away and look at Danny D Francesco who's just signed with Zaf and we were just riding together in the NRS and now you know she's fifth in the world so it just yeah it's it it, it's a it's a game of sliding doors and 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 opportunities and moments and so um yeah who knows and that's what you love about it but it's also (laughs) what makes this sport beautiful and fucked up at the same time (laughs) no it's so hard for us it's so more much more challenging for for australians and oceana athletes it's just that sea of water is uh it's a huge huge barrier um but yeah, well, that sounds exciting. Though. I'm glad that you've got some stuff happening over in Europe because you, know, you just kind of have to, you just kind of have to be there, don't you? Like, you just got to be there, getting people's faces, and yeah, a hundred percent. It's you know the role that I want to play in a team. There's a hundred of them in Europe. Um, that they, you know, they don't need the same support that that I might need to be over there. But I think. Oh, any athlete that's willing to go over to Europe and do a stint there on their own should certainly be looked at pretty closely because to um I think, you know, the Aussie that some of those Europeans just remembered how far away Australia is in coming here for worlds and TDU and just how big that trip is and how much they're leaving behind and that you can't just pop home for the weekend or when things aren't going well or you're injured, sick or had a bad race. You you got to keep plugging it out over there. So, um, but I think so many people have done it so well before me and have really paved a way. I think it was a lot harder when the likes of Chloe Hoskins was doing it and, um, you know, Loretta Hanson and um, others and, and, you know, a lot of us are now getting to stand on their shoulders in how we do it. And, but there was certainly a big gap of years when I started cycling, no one was going to Europe. um, And you only, you really could only get signed by Jayco to get over there for a moment. So I think in this last year with quite a few of us going over now, everyone's looking at Europe and going, well, that's, 
that's what I've got to do. And that wasn't really available or mm. happening just before COVID. And then obviously two to three years of COVID. Um, mm. So yeah, they're years that were definitely taken away from my, uh, like getting over there. And, but I, this is an ageist sport, but I'm, look, I'm, I'm going to give it my all. Um, and it's taken me a long time to go, Hey, this is definitely what I want to do and put my career and family on the back foot and go, I'm just going to go all in. And if it doesn't work, then I know that I went all in and it just didn't work for me. Yeah. Sick. I love it. Matilda. So good. It's so good here in the energy, the intent as well, you know, the intent to go over there. There's yeah. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I don't, people don't like who don't go, don't know what it's like. You're honestly there. You've got like 150 girls who just don't care for their life. Like they're just like trying to chop you into a, a footpath that you're all about to ride into. And so <laughs> like, certainly I, I like, I would say a lot of those Camises and some of the um, Netherlands and Belgium, like 1.1 races are more terrifying than some of the world tour. Yes. It is, yes. it is dog eat dog. It's hunger games. It's, it's wild. And then you go back to your team that don't speak any English and that's just the way it is though. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Everyone on the start list of those those one point ones and Belgian stuff, they don't have a, a Paris coming up next week. They need to be, you know, no broken bones for or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. It's all no, it's um yeah, yeah. No, I've got a few a few wounds from it, but um uh yeah, that's just that's the path at the yeah. moment. So um yeah, that that I've got to take. So mm-hmm. yeah, Melbourne to Warney, I think it's it's Australian results are helpful um but they're nothing without other like you you need to either be doing something here at a world tour level so you've got great results at tour down under and cadells um but you've seen like danny de francesco yeah just you know get reached out to by zaf and um and then be given that opportunity and how quickly she's grown into that and i think that's um what can happen with athletes when you're given that that opportunity and um support to be able to go full time, um, I, I think it's just a credit to her, and sh- I think she's done amazing. And I, I really wish all those guys um, well in Europe because yeah, they all go now, and it'll be very, very different racing over there to what we've seen in the summer of cycling. Mm. Well, I'm on the Matilda Reynolds train for Melbourne Waterway. I've been years. <laughs> After listening to that, I think everyone's going to be on the MR train. Oh, I certainly am. Uh, so. Oh no, they're all going to bash me up. <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's gonna counter attack me <laughs> nah yeah it's it's actually a bit of a hard course like it's um yeah well i think that's for the men's it's going to be wet for the men's and not that hot for the women's um oh. and hopefully the wind might come up so um yeah i say that and i'll probably get dagged off the back so <laughs> <laughs> talk a bit I talk a big game but then I get yeah shafted but yeah we'll see I think it'll be fun if the elements play a bit of a role um on the day uh for it but I think as I said like we're only as strong as like everyone that contributes so I think what the organizers have done the sponsors of the event um the teams turning up again it's been such a big summer for some of those teams um and I think everyone's gene for it because 
they've been sort of a small fish in this big pond and now they're coming back to the NRS and and ready to go. And then, you know, there's other riders and teams that missed out on opportunities during the summer that will be fresh and, and roaring to go. So, um, yeah, I hope it'll be an exciting day. And to be honest, I haven't tried not to think about it too much, otherwise it keeps me awake at night. But um, we got the... Got the manual today, had a quick look on on what's going on, but yeah, not too many changes from last year. And um yeah, I just think to have so many women involved in the organizing is is just awesome. And um yeah, we definitely would not have gone ahead without the likes of um that organizing committee that um are some of the best names in not just in female cycling but Australian cycling. Yeah, definitely. I know Karen when they got told that maybe some of the funding wasn't looking so good or was getting sliced. She wasn't having any of that. And uh, she, you know, yeah, most of the committee, they got onto it. It was, yeah, it was cool. Really cool. Yeah. And I think just like, yeah, if any athletes are hearing this, like, yeah, have a think about that. Like, make sure you do somehow like return that investment, oh. plug the sponsors, yes. tag the, yeah. tag the naming rights. And just, that's all it takes. It's pretty simple, but um, yeah, we, we can't do any of this without them. So um, yeah, it's not too much to give back. Um, so yeah, I'm currently in New South Wales. It's been a big travel month, just um, trying to fit in work and uh, getting to TDU and and back to Melbourne and Brisbane and I'm in New South Wales, and so I'll be back in back in Victoria this weekend. And um, yeah, looking forward to finishing it off on on Sunday. Simple as that. So one thing led to another, and it became a scratch race. And when was that, John? Was that 1996? 1996. At least our company was able to give the event some stability. We worked with an excellent committee, the Warrnambool Citizens Road Race Committee, who were who were quite passionate about the race, and uh, there were some very good people on that committee. But um, so we did it. For 16 years, cycling Australia, in its wisdom, pretty well sacked us because uh, they reckon they could do it better. And uh, they took it over in 2013. But I stayed on the committee. And, uh, so Cycling Australia took it over by 2015 was 120 years of the event. Wow. Um, uh, the people at Cycling Australia had appointed to run it. They pulled out. So we moved back in and uh, organised the uh, 120th anniversary of the race. That was run by the Olympian Scott Sunderland. WA boy. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> West Australian, isn't he? That's right. Yeah, yeah. good bloke, Scott. Um, West is best. Yeah, he he'd won a bronze at the at the uh, Olympic Games. Anyway, we, so we did that, and, and I wrote. They asked me to write as a journalist and a promoter the history of the race. Hmm. So I did do that. Wrote the history of the Melbourne to Waterfall. That came out in two thousand and fifteen. So. That was uh, that was the end of me and the end of our company. And uh, others took it over. 
struggling. I was, uh, yeah, I was off the committee by then after 20 years. I had 20 years on the committee. But then in 2018, they got into trouble again. And uh, so I came back and organised the sponsorship, most of the sponsorship, so the race could proceed. Mm. Uh, it did. And since then, they've had a, a very committed committee. Uh, you know, they get it on every year. And now, it doesn't uh, go down any major thoroughfares or anything like that. But uh, after... Uh, was it 23? After 128 years, with some gaps in between, yeah. the uh, race is, remains the second oldest bike race in the world. It's pretty special, isn't it? Next to Milan San Remo, right? Sorry? Next to Milano San Remo. That's, that's correct, yes. Mm. What It sounds like it's had... Well, a lot of ups and downs to keep uh, along its history. And it's so nice to see that something with the history of this race can continue. But what do you think makes the race so difficult to win for the riders as a scratch race? Well, well it's, uh, it's so long to begin with. It's the, the challenge to finish the Warner Ball remains thankfully yeah most young road riders aspire to ride and finish the melbourne to warnable every rider who finishes gets a medal and that's a tradition that started right back from the outset um and to win it, you get a place in history, chapter in the book. <laughs> well, I'm now it's the book, so <laughs> I, can, uh, I can send you over a book if you like. I think Shane's sending me his copy, so I'm going to read it on the plane when I come over. <laughs> yeah, it's 400 pages. Oh, I've got, I've got fast eyes. Right. Well, I'm hoping it might, it might, it might arrive are, today. There's some wonderful chapters of the event early on. Yep. You know, such as, I mean, the hardships and the privations that the riders went through. Mm. Was, the road was, uh, say, a two, well, it was probably a two, I think it might have been 200 miles early in the, in the early days. But, <laughs> you know, the road from Melbourne to Warrnambool in some places was was just a paddock. <laughs> Seriously, particularly around Werribee. Oh, really? Uh, I don't know whether you've heard of Werribee and Upper. That's about 30, 40 miles from Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, it's, there was just a dirt track. They'd pick up their bikes and run through the mud and slush <laughs> for seven miles. Really? Yes. There's another snorey in there. I think it was 19... Oh, nine snowy Munro from uh, Melbourne. Uh, that was uh, when the race started from Warrnambool. Yeah. It started from Warrnambool 32 times over the years. Snowy Munro, the train, the Warrnambool to Melbourne steam train, 
took off at the same time as Snowy Munro's bunch and he beat the train by five minutes. <laughs> There's a classic picture near Werribee uh, and it's on the back page of the book of Snowy Munro pedalling past the steam train. Oh, that's awesome. It is awesome. Yeah, I'll have to find that and I'll put it up um, on the page. It's on the back cover, so not hard to find. Yeah. The, the chapter on uh, Snowy Munro is one of my favourites. The chapter on Russell Mockridge, of course, is one of my favourites. Okay. And, John, what's, what would be a memory that comes to mind, one of your favourite memories that you think of about the Melbourne morning? Uh, as a... As a journo, as a promoter, well, or as, as a, a promoter, as a promoter, right? Once we promoted, so we promoted us sixteen times, eighteen times. Uh, oh yes, yes. Um, uh, it's in the book, but back in uh, in the late nineteen nineties. I think the race was uh, 280 kilometres. It might have been 300 kilometres, the course we took. And there was a Danish rider and a Swiss rider. They rode off together and they went across the line. They sprinted across the line out in front and one centimetre separated the riders (laughs) after 300 kilometres. Wow. There was a Danish rider, Dennis Rasmussen. Okay. He got beaten. To this day, he reckons he won. <laughs> the, the photo finish says otherwise. Yeah. And Daniel, uh, oh, Daniel, Alan? Daniel. Alan? No, he was, he was from Swiss, the winner. Um, hmm. Daniel Lutt, something like that. Oh, jeez, I, I rang him when, uh, when I sure? read the book. Not sure, Alan. Hmm. Back in the late 1990s, no, it's, it's a... Oh, a Woods. 1990s. Yeah, 93 was D Woods. It'd be wow. 90, 96. Oh, Sh- Schinder. Daniel Schneider. Schneider, 1997, 6 hours 17, and he won by a centimetre. Won by a centimetre. There's a picture in the book. Of the photo finish. Oh, that's a, I can't wait to see that. Great. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing that, um, my friend. It was really good to hear a bit of history of the race from someone who's had such a influence on it as well. Yeah, well, it's been part of part of my life, I suppose. Yeah, well, yeah, it has been been part of my life. Definitely. Now, are you are you in um, the area for the race? Pardon? Will you be in Warnable for the race? Uh, yes, I'll be at the finish. Beautiful. Well, I'll make sure that I um I see you because I'm doing the commentary. Oh, yeah? on the finish line? Yeah. Uh, well done. <laughs> so your name's Jethro... Nagel. Jethro Nagel. That's me. So we'll um definitely catch up when, when we're over there this weekend, mate. It's, not, uh, it's next weekend, isn't it? Well, this weekend. This weekend? Yeah, 4th and 5th. Shit. 
<laughs> Here's me thinking it was a weekend after. <laughs> it used to be always in October. Yeah. I don't know why they changed it to February. I really don't. Uh, anyway, don't I'm know. out of it, so. That's all good. All right, well, John, I'll see you in a few days, mate. This Saturday? This. Organized. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks bye, a lot, John. Bye. See ya. Bye. What a legend. Back in 2020, <laughs> you won it, and, you know, I just want to kind of explain to uh, everyone listening like why the Melbourne Audible's such a difficult race, one, just to race, and two, to win. What's your take on that? Yeah, it is. Um, and I think it's probably like um, it can go a few ways. Like it can be a really difficult race, but it also can be quite easy. And, and they're actually probably the harder ones for um, guys like myself to get a result. Like if it's if it's a pretty easy day, then to the end, you know, it's just a sprint. Um, and you've kind of sat in the wheels for, yeah, maybe seven, seven and a half hours or whatever. So it's, it's a long time, but it's, um, yeah, in those easier days, it's like harder for someone like me. And there's a lot of, lot of riders like me who um, probably don't enjoy such a, such a crazy day. And I think, yeah, when the conditions are hard, it um, gets quite grippy towards the end. And that that's when it's like, good days for guys like myself and and those attacks towards the end actually start to stick so yeah i think if the conditions um you know the wind and and perhaps the um the weather like the rain or whatever come up then i think that's um that's when it's sort of better and yeah it's harder but um yeah mm. have you done a few wet additions yeah well, that 101 was like wet and dry so it rained a fair bit um <laughs> But I've actually done it quite a few times. Like the first time I did it, um, I was pretty, pretty young and it was like just terrible conditions and the wind was wild and I ended up just making the front split and I think I was like eighth or ninth. Um, but I was stoked with that. And I think, yeah, that was like just a good one to start off on because it was like just pretty average conditions and I was like, well, this is super hard. Yeah. Um, so it was good to kind of get that baptism of fire a bit and um yeah, be out in those conditions for so long. Um, I just yeah, I just had a look at the weather for the weekend. Scattered showers, eighteen. Bit of oh. wind too. Bit of wind. <laughs> those poor bastards. Yeah, I mean, see, if I was doing it, I'm I'm you looking like at that, that and I'm like, this is good. And I think there's a lot of people like that. Mm. Um, yeah, like there's a lot of riders now that. Um, probably see those conditions and, and get excited and um you know see it sort of playing into their hands rather than your typical sort of break goes out um quite a long way and then it's brought back and you've sat in the wheels and it's a big bunchy um at the end so yeah i think there's a lot of guys who probably look at those those figures for the weather and um be excited when you when you've raced in the past and and the breaks have gone i think back to like oh like well, like the Nathan Elliott days um, when he won back to back. Like, are you getting regular enough time checks to the break that gives you confidence that you can give them a little bit, or is it not really that consistent with how often you're getting, you know, the time gap to the front? Um, in the past, I think it's been quite okay, but I guess it just depends um, who's out there, and um, I've never really been in a team that we've, you know, had the 
ability to kind of get on the front and and do anything about it you know so um it's kind of you're at the mercy of who's out there and 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 who's back in the bunch um as to how the race goes but i think typically now like those early days when i was doing it um international fair was a bit different and Mm. uh, it was a bit more traditional like you know not every single person was looking to get in the move it was more like yeah there was there was guys who were going to go and um they knew they possibly you know it was a bit more sort of yeah that's the break it's gone and you know it'll probably come back most likely maybe not but um now it's like it can take a really long time for the break to go um and i think in that case actually it ends up being more of like a split so or a select group that's like been trying for hours and hours and you get the same kind of guys and then they they're at the front they're, they're probably the strongest guys in the race anyway and they've ended up off the front or or kind of splitting it so so um i mean the race being you know it's always been over six six hours and a half sometimes up to seven for some additions i mean holy shit that's a long day uh the eating's pretty crucial like what would be your sort of um regime on the on the bike for your nutrition on for a melbourne morning yeah it's pretty um substantial i think like it also depends how hard you're going like if you're just in the wheels it's actually not you know it's not so so um high energy but yeah once once you're out in the break or like the split or whatever then you've really got to like keep on top of it like um and you yeah yeah find yourself in that like fourth or fifth hour just pretty much constantly eating like you just like <laughs> whenever you're not doing a turn or whatever you're you're getting something in your mouth um yeah and i think i try and like um in that one maybe you know more substantial food because in some some events like um even like the dirty warning like off-road events like that it's easier just to punch shells all day hmm. but i think like on the road if you know you can get opportunities to like have a bit more of a substantial snack and yeah just like maybe you can free at the back a bit and um or go to the car or whatever um and actually the year the year i won i was our team car was back in the group and couldn't get to us so i just had like um i ran out of water and like food and i just ended up getting like just plain water for the last like hour and a half or something <laughs> so it was like <laughs> um quite funny just just racing on water but um yeah i mean i think water is as good as anything at that point like you yeah. know if you can um if you're forced <laughs> to just take water on board then maybe it's not such a bad thing but yeah so, you, you can have some substantial snacks out there especially when there's lulls in the race yeah yeah definitely now you're in back in when the race you won you who do you you might have beat freebird Yes, yeah, it was um it was me, Freeberg, oh, uh, Marco, and um uh this is from Canada. Um, oh, Perry, Perry. Yeah, Ben Perry. Yeah, how did that move eventually? Because you still you, you ended up going across the line like forty five minutes back, and then another seven minutes to the pillow, basically. Yeah. So um. That was that was one that took forever to go, and there's like a it was like a KOM. I feel like it's probably 120k to go or something, and it was the same sort of thing. Like guys were going. Um, there's someone else there as well. Oh, Jenna was Sam. Jenna was with us. Ben Hill probably. Ben Hill. No, Ben Hill was actually coming across with oh. with Aiden Tuvi, and they actually got quite close to us. I think maybe within a minute or yeah, right. Um, 
as we were like foxing at the end. Um, so they missed it. But yeah, anyway, over this KOM, um, it's like obviously it's not a massive hill, but it was solid enough. And, and I think we'd had a few moves before then. And it's just that type of race where it's hard and, you know, you're kind of looking around and the same guys are going each time. And then um, on this, yeah, this climb, I just look around and it's like Marcus in the front and and um, Ben and Freiburg. And I'm like, okay, well, this is, this is the, like, this is the good guys in the race. I think yeah. a lot of people were looking at, um, at Freibs in that race because it was pretty recent after he, um, yeah, he was a, he was a champion, maybe. I think he, he was, was on champ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, he just just lost it, I guess. I, I trying to remember the timing of it, but um, everyone was looking at him, like yeah. me included. And actually, I think there was splits earlier, and I remember I, I bridged across to one of these splits that had him in it because um. I'd spoken to someone, they're like, yeah, Freed was up the road. I'm like, well, that's where I want to be. So I just jumped across. Um, I think with maybe one of like the more of the like age group, because, you know, you start everyone together. Yeah. And this guy was keen to just rip it across. So I actually got a good hand across. And then oh shit, um, it was from that group of maybe 20 or something that we kind of went on this hill. And yeah. I guess, yeah, once you get like a group like that, everyone was um, chipping in pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was just on one of those hills that it kind of kind of split from this from a small select group. Mm, yeah, sick. And then you got him in the sprint. Got them all in the sprint. Yeah, I've I've watched the finish there a few times. Actually, it's pretty um pretty proud of how it worked out. Like <laughs> this is one of those days where I was like comfy, just comfy, just to wait and like follow. Um, mm. And <clears throat> yeah, I find myself a bit marked in those kind of situations. Um, yeah. nowadays I mean that's not so long ago but having someone like Freeberg there um, yeah. I guess like everyone was kind of watching him and it was just sort of a, I don't know it was it was um, a little bit easier to kind of hide behind that I guess yeah sure alright legends that's another episode of the Press Room Podcast done and dusted hope you enjoyed this and a little bit more about the Melbourne Warnable Bike Race. Remember, you can enter this race right now. It's still uh, entries are still open, and if you're thinking about it next year, I really, really, really encourage you guys to give it a crack and try and just finish the race if you're not trying to compete for the win, um, and just get amongst it. It's a it's a really historic race, and I'll definitely be coming back next year if I'm not commentating to try and complete this race because 270 k's on the bicycle, chopping off. Good Lord, that sounds like an absolute mission, but something that's really motivating. And I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Elliot Schultz as well. Big shout out to him if you haven't seen that episode. The first half is our Cadell's preview. That's obviously been one and done, but listen to the second half and check it out on YouTube because the story Elliot shares is just, it's crazy, guys. It is crazy and a real uh, story of um, just overcoming an, an intense challenge uh, on your own in another country, in another medical system, in another language. Crazy. Legends, thank you so much to Matilda Reynolds, Trekkie Johnston, John Craven. I'll see you on the next episode, my friends, and uh, thanks. <laughs>